I know, I, I want to mention something about that song. We um, briefly talked about it in our practice session. In all I do, I honor you. I don't think there's a one of us that succeeded at that this week in a consistent 100% way, right? But what's the spirit of the song? I want to go there, and that's where I want to be. I want to honor you, Lord. In all I do, I want to honor you. And so it comes back to the very thing that we need, and that is a perfect Savior. And Jesus is the perfect Savior. And as you and I draw near to Him, yes, indeed, you and I can honor Him. So let's make much about Jesus Okay, and living our lives. And let's uh, take our Bible now and turn to the book of Judges. The book of Judges, chapter 2 and 3 today. Last week, I gave you an outline and... uh, said that chapter 1 was like an introduction. Uh, Chapter 2 is an introduction. And chapter 2 is now more about a divine perspective given. A perspective from God's point of view introducing the book of Judges. And so you look at Judges chapter 1, starting at verse 1, you know, it came about after the death of Joshua, the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord. And then it goes on to talk about the tribes and and how they handled things and how they didn't handle things. And then look at chapter 2, and it says this. Chapter 2, verse 1, look at it. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal. And through this, we're going to see more of a divine perspective given on the, still, yes, the introduction on the book of Judges. So being from God's perspective in chapter 2, chapter 1 was more about from Israel's perspective. And even though we, uh, we said it last week, we'll be saying it throughout this series, even though there's failure and defeat, here in chapter 2 and 3, we will see God in His strength, God in His sovereignty. What does sovereignty mean? Control. His overall orchestration of things. And I I say that in the midst of a mess. Some of you have experienced uh, messes in your life. And you think, how in the world has this happened? And later on, somehow you see, oh, God did this in this mess. God is sovereign over our messes, okay? He's sovereign and in control. He hasn't lost control when things don't go your way. And believe me, there are situations in life where we do think God has lost control. Fourteen years ago, we thought maybe God lost control for what happened at the Twin Towers and what happened at the Pentagon and what happened in that Pennsylvania field. People were saying, where's God in this? 
This is not right. This is not fair. And yet through it all, Christian, if you and I are spending time in the Word, we're realizing, yes, God is in control. He hasn't lost control. And I nor you have been asked to go up into the control booth with God to figure things out. We don't get that opportunity. What we do is, is say, to, to respond with saying, hear my Lord, send me. Or Lord, I, I will trust you. I don't understand it, but I will trust you. And so, that's really our introduction on our second introduction Okay? And so, point number one, if you want to follow along in your outline, we see God's sovereign deployment against disobedience because this is what happens right away. In this mess, God's not going to sit back and let the disobedience just slide by without saying something. But notice what happens. It's not a voice from heaven. Notice. It says, now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim. And he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I've sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become as thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. And it came about when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named the place Bochim and there they sacrificed to the Lord. So here's the angel of the Lord. Who is he speaking for? Well, he's speaking for himself. He's God. Let's just cut right to it. The angel of the Lord is God. Here's a manifestation of God in their presence. Okay? And he runs down things and says, Look, I'm confronting you, letter A. He confronted them with their choices really is what came about he had already said these things back in deuteronomy numbers joshua he had already said these things to them he's rebuking them and he's reminding them of his word this isn't anything new for the people of israel so he's repeated his warning and what's their response they cried they wept you know, in our Sunday school class, we're talking about revival over here. And um, uh, if you're not going to a Sunday school class, please join us for either Exodus in the Fellowship Hall or a study on the, um, the idea of revival from the Bible right over here in the overflow. And we're, we talked about visible signs of if it's really of the Lord, visible manifestations. And we have a challenge right here about now, is this a, a real deal kind of a sorrow and repentance from them from the people of israel they cried out and i think we will see that it was a a complaining cry out they weren't repenting of sin as much as they should have 
Maybe, you know, it's hard to say. Maybe they were repenting. But we'll find out that they didn't maintain that. They didn't continue on in it. That's the key. And then it's something very interesting is if you consider researching this. The angel of the Lord didn't come from the sky. Where did he come from? There's a little town we ought to check into. Gilgal. Gilgal. Right near Jericho. Right near the Jordan River. Guess what happened at Gilgal? Hmm. Well, let's turn to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. Now, they're right around the area. They've not yet gone into Jericho. Okay? They're not going in yet. But they're getting ready to. They've crossed the Jordan, and here they are. And they've been told, set up these 12 stones uh, out of the, in the middle of the Jordan River. Okay? And then, look at verse 19. Now, the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month. And they camped at, there it is, at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Tell me, what is the significance of those stones? Their success? No. What did God do? A memorial for God, right? So, and he goes on in chapter 5. Okay? Well, let, let's read that. End of chapter 4. End of chapter 4, verse 23. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before you, before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may... Fear the Lord your God forever, so that you, people, that you may fear the Lord. Here's what he's done. Remember it. Bring it to mind. Okay? That wasn't all that happened at Gilgal. Chapter 5, verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourselves flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. And so Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel. What's that about? Here's commitment. Commitment to here's the covenant with God. That's the sign of the covenant, circumcision. So, man, you're going to get circumcised. Here we go. And folks, if you're thinking just in terms of a physical, uh, medical, surgical act, you're missing the point. It was a physical act to show a inside, internal, spiritual act of commitment to God from the heart. And so the, the troops were rallied. Remember this. Here's the stones. Remember that. Circumcision time. Here we go. Commitment. Right? And then from there... It's interesting that the people observed the Passover. Here's, here's worship now. Worship. And the manna, by the way, the manna ceased at that time. Because why? 
the people, get this, the people were in the land and able to just enjoy the, the produce of the land now. And now the manna ceases. That's, that's again, that's, a, that's an act from God. God is involved here. Okay? And if that wasn't enough, at the end of chapter 5, look what happens, Joshua. Now it came about that Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather, I indeed come now as, what? Captain of the hosts of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. That's not just another little angel in God's troop of angels. Okay? Significant things happening around and and at and around the area of Gilgal. And so back to Judges, it's this contrast. Here's victory. Here's blessing, Gilgal. Remember? And here's Bochim. Bochim, however you say it. And what's that known for? Defeat and crying, weeping. Okay? So... What a, what a sad contrast. So, God, you know, there's a lot of different ways to say it, I'm sure, but I believe here's the, the sovereignty of God bringing about the presence of the angel of the Lord, the um, pre-incarnate, hang with me on this, the pre-incarnate visible showing of Jesus the angel of the Lord. And he's the only one who can speak this way. I, saying, referring to God. He's, he's speaking because he's God. And by the way, throughout the book of Judges, there's interesting number of um, visible manifestations and discussions with the angel of God throughout the book of Judges that we will find out. So back in Judges chapter 2, now we're going to take a jump and we'll come back and cover this section, verses 6 through 9, but now go to verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. There's a reason why we're doing this, but hang with me here. Verse 10 says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work of which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. And thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. We talked about those false gods last week. It was uh, strongly connected to the agricultural scene of the land of Canaan. 
and it was debauchery in worship. Okay? As the people thought of Baal and Ashtoreth, um, uh, blessing them with rain for their land and their crops, that was the main thing. They somehow figured that, well, if we have um, sexual encounters with the, with the prostitutes here, that that will excite the gods and cause abundance of rain because that's what the gods do. Okay? So, yes, it was a perverted way of worship. This is, I, I said it last week, this is one of the reasons why God brought about judgment. Judgment upon the land of Canaan and the Canaanites. Okay, so letter B under number one is really he exposed their deeds. God's exposed their deeds, their undoing. And here's the, the, the down, uh, you know, how things unraveled, if you will. It was the next generation. That was the first thing that, that he mentions. The next generation did not know the Lord. Then they did evil. By serving other gods, they departed, they forsook the Lord, they followed after the other gods and bowed down to them. That's the digression of false worship. It's very clear that what we said again last week is that in in regards to that cycle of misery, that cycle that we tried to explain, it's starting right here. Here it is, right before our eyes. That the sons of evil, uh, the sons of Israel did evil. So it goes from choices, the choices that they made, to their deeds. And folks, listen, this is something that we need to bring to our minds, to our lives, to our day, and that is your choices. How you go about choosing things in your life and making decisions on things. If you say you're a child of God, that needs to be connected to the will of God. What's the will of God for your life? Just, hey, do anything you want to do because you got your ticket to heaven? No. It's the idea that you will track along with what God says in His Word. That you're... And, and, and in that, by that I mean that you're going to exalt Jesus Christ in your life with your choices. The idea of the next generation. I want to dwell on that for just a little bit because that affects us right here. The idea of the next generation. It's not... God's not blaming um, the prior generation for their lack. He's just pointing out... Here's the next generation. They did not know the Lord. And we think, oh, they were pagans. They didn't know the Lord. No, we've got to look underneath and say, realize they knew about the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. You and I are in a day and age where we can know about the Lord because we show up at church. We're good people, right? Yeah. We're all good people. But knowing about Jesus, knowing about the Bible, does not make us a Christian. That has to be brought forth to challenge you and I again. Growing up in church doesn't mean 
you're automatically saved. Here these people, they heard about God. They heard about what God did. They had to have known. But really, what happened was they didn't respect God and honor God in their lives by their, what? With their choices and then with their deeds. They did evil. And it started with, right up here, here's choices that I start making. Oh, I see the Canaanites across the street. They're having a lot of fun. I wonder what they're doing. You know, and little things, little things build, little things build. And the next thing, we're falling away from the faith. It was, listen, the next generation did not lack the facts. I mean, they had the facts, right? So it wasn't what they understood that was the problem. Another way that it's said is being informed is not the same as being impacted. You can be informed, but are, is your life impacted by the presence of God? By the power of the Word of God and the, the working of the Holy Spirit in your life? And then just think of this. What do you think that spiritual, let's put it this way, what do you think that spiritual forgetfulness and neglect will produce? What's spiritual forgetfulness going to produce? I, I know we, a lot of us, excuse us young people, we, uh, older folks are going to talk about a problem right now. We, we talk about forgetfulness and we joke about it. You, you guys just wait. But we, we forget stuff all the time. We kind of joke about it, make light of it. But you know what? Here in this setting, this, it, it's not funny. It's not good. Because they forgot. And what did it produce? Or they neglected it. What did it produce? A generation that did not know God. They knew about Him, but they did not know Him. Okay? So... Okay, let's move along here. Point number two. So under number one, it's confronted their choices and letter B, exposed their deeds. Point number two, God's sovereign discipline upon his people. You can see in verse 14. Look at verse 14 in chapter two. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And again, we have to notice the pronouns here. A little point. Notice the pronouns through this. And who's, who's doing what? He gave them into the hands of the plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, so they were severely distressed. The Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. And yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods. They bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. And And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. The Lord was with the judge and delivered them. All the days of the judge. And then the Lord was moved to pity 
by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. Okay, so the Lord is there behind all of this. We don't just look at it and say, oh, those rotten scumbag Israelites, they messed up again and again and again. Well, yeah, they did, but God was behind this, allowing this to happen. So God's sovereign discipline is letter A about allowing, allowing, permitting. You think, why? Why, did, why doesn't he intervene? He did intervene. And here's their stubborn ways. They go back to choosing this. You and I don't get that, do we? Do we get that at all? Yeah. You and I have a stubborn streak in our hearts. We can sing saying, I honor you, Lord, in all I do. But, you know, we leave and we go. And there's, here's this old stubborn Swenson popping up again, the old flesh, wanting to take charge, wanting to do the driver thing, taking over the controls of my life. I know what's better anyway, don't I? I can figure this out on my own, can't I? Do you do that? Come on, relate with me. <laughs> right? So we do. Okay? And God allows it. Why does He allow it? So that you and I will learn of His patience and of His presence. It's still there. He's not departed and, and taken off and gone to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make another people from the other groups that I, I had second choice, third choice. No, He's showing His covenant love and commitment to His people. And He's allowing this to happen in His wisdom. I don't get it. You don't get it. But He's allowing it. And then also in this section, we could jump down to chapter 3 now. Okay? Let's look at chapter 3. Now, these are the nations. No, I'm going to back up. Let's end of chapter 2, verse 20. End of chapter 2, verse 20. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not listened to my voice, I will also will no longer drive them out, uh, drive them any, drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them. So that's what's going to happen here with the first start of chapter 3 now. It's about allowing these nations to stay in there to test the people. Okay? This is how God disciplines His children. Okay? Now, on these two sub-points for number two, the idea of allowing, that God allows this, turn to Romans chapter 1. Keep your marker in Judges chapter 3 and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 saying that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness, in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. 
But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Here's the idea of the Canaanite religion. (laughs) And look at what happens. Verse 24, what does it say? Look, therefore... God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. God doesn't have to run around and say, Oh, what am I going to do? What do I do with these people? When we think that we're bringing God down to our size and our image, that's wrong. Learn about who God is from the Scriptures and exalt Him in your life with our choices. He gave them over to this. And He's sovereign in His understanding with the things of the future also. Then for testing, the other sub-point of number two, the testing side of it, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. And what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are what? illegitimate you're not his child right so the point of god's disciplining his children why because we we want to kind of go back to our own our own desire of controlling things our own saying i'll you know we'll trust in we'll trust in joshua joshua's a really good guy okay No, trust in the Lord. Learn about trusting in the Lord. Teach yourself in that. Learn from the Word of God about this. Okay? God's sovereign discipline. Okay, then finally, point number three is God's sovereign deliverance for His people. And now we go to this section that starts with chapter 3, verse 7, and it goes all the way to the end of chapter 16. Don't worry, we're not going to go there today. That's where we're going in the weeks ahead. But today, we'll take a quick look at these guys, Joshua, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. There's really not a lot stated about them. But the reason why we add Joshua in, because God acknowledges it. God uh, recognizes Joshua. So go back to chapter 2, look at verse 6. 
when Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel, each went to his inheritance to possess the land. Bingo! There you go. Way to go, Joshua. He did his job. What was his job? Tell the people, go. Inherit the land. He led them. And he pointed to the fact that God is the one that we're honoring here. God's the one that is leading us. Joshua did his job in leading. And the people, look at verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Okay? So, there's Joshua. He's a godly man. He had strong leadership, faithful service, example, integrity. We like those, don't we? But here's, here's the thing I want to really point out. What, did he, what was he called when it says he died? What did the Lord call him? The servant of the Lord. He was, he was, he was the, the servant of the Lord. Very important here. Then verse 9. What do you want to point out here? Where he's buried? What's the big deal about that? What are the people doing? The people are going into the land to what? Kind of buddy up with the Canaanites? No, to conquer them and control the land. What did the people do? They didn't do that. What did Joshua do? Joshua got his job done, didn't he? How do I know that? He was bar- Where is he buried? He's buried in, in his territory. Verse 9. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance. You got to like that, don't you? It's, it's, here's the issue of all it is is simple this. He claimed his inheritance and what? He got control of it. He didn't just claim it and say, oh, that's mine over there. And Canaanites are hanging out over there still. No, he claimed it and conquered it and got control of it. And they buried him there. Okay? We don't have the time sequence in front of us here in the, in the passage. But what we're understanding is here's that Joshua followed through. Like Caleb, Caleb followed through. Joshua followed through. He's a faithful servant. All right? Called the servant of the Lord. Then letter B, Othniel. Chapter 3, starting at verse 7. And the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Here's the start of the cycle. Okay? And then verse 9. Uh, this, this guy in verse 8, bad, bad dude. I can't even say his name. But it means he was doubly wicked. That's what I do get. This king was doubly wicked. That's what the name means. Okay? He was doubly wicked. He was the king of, the, of Mesopotamia. Okay? And they, and they got control of the Israelite area for eight years. The sons of Israel cried to the Lord. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them. Othniel, look at here, the son of Canaan, Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Okay, right there, Othniel is from a good family. Why? Well, you got Caleb. Caleb's the father-in-law. Caleb's not going to let things slide. He wants to really, you know, make sure his, his daughter has a good husband. What does he do? He doesn't wait for some Canaanite to come around and offer himself for Caleb's daughter. 
Caleb says, hey, I'll give somebody this land if they come and conquer it. I'm, you come and conquer this area and I'll give you my daughter in marriage. We think, oh, that's old fashioned. Set up the marriage like that. Hey, Caleb is wise. So many others end up intermarrying people of other faiths, other belief systems. Real quick, young people, you know, when you get to that point and you start thinking of someone that you're interested in, young people, all single people, and you're thinking along the lines of, hey, I really like this girl, I really like this guy. Well, this is where the whole principle starts. It's a principle that runs all the way through Scripture. Don't intermarry with people of false religions. Even if they look good, even if they are really cool and really successful, don't intermarry. Marry someone that loves the Lord. Wait upon Him. Okay? Now, that again, that's the principle that starts here with Israel and works its way right into, into the New Testament times. So, Othniel, from a good family. Okay? He had good influence from his father-in-law. He was unafraid. He went in and conquered the land and won Caleb's daughter. He's unafraid. He knows about war. And this is one of the problems that the Israelites ended up having. Some of them were afraid to go to war. And thus they let the Canaanites thrive. Then... Very important that we understand this for Othniel. Look at verse 10. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. For the Spirit of the Lord to come upon him, we understand there had to be a usefulness in God's eyes with this man. Here's this man. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And that's what empowered this man's life. The Spirit of the Lord. Not being related to Caleb. Not having a strength and a courage. But being having the Spirit of God upon him. That's where his power came from. Then look at what it says. Verse 10, He judged Israel and he went out to war and the Lord gave this guy into his hand. Simple. Nothing complex. There it is. Okay? Othniel. He was a fighter. He was a proven man. And God gave him the victory. Now, what does it say um, and this, uh, and he gathered to himself the sons of Ammon. No, I'm sorry. There, I'm, yeah, back in verse 11. Excuse me. Then the land had rest for how many years? Forty. Forty years, the land had rest, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Very important words here again. We could have uh, this idea of peace because we have a ruler and a king over us and we've got peace in our land. But God doesn't want us putting our eyes and our trust in that ruler and that judge and that deliverer. God wants us to look beyond him to God. Our, Our peace comes from God, folks. Very important. Okay, then Ehud... 
We won't take a whole lot of time on this. Ehud, um, I, I, I guess I always figured that they were being, something was wrong with being left-handed. You got left-handed people here? I mean, well, what's the deal? But as you study this passage, it's also, it's not just about being left-handed. It's the fact that they understand he had a hard time using his right hand. But Ehud was a man who was given the responsibility of paying the tribute to King Eglon. And this is like a guy out of the movie Star Wars, you know, a uh, big fat dude. Okay. I don't know what the character in Star Wars was. I can't remember. Anyway, but um, okay. So this big fat king and Ehud is unassuming. You know, they, they probably notice he can't use his right hand. Ehud makes a sword. It's about an 18 inch sword. And you know where he puts it? On his right thigh. Somehow he gets through security. They present the tribute. Then he takes off with his company. But he stops at Gilgal. Hmm. I wonder what he gets to thinking at Gilgal. He sees the, idol, the idols, is what it says. He sees the idols and he turns around by himself. And he goes back to the king, king of Moab, King Eglon. And he says, I have a message from you from God. Well, maybe his right hand is pointing out that he's got... And, and it's, I don't know, we, we're assuming, I know. But he goes back to the king and says, I have a message from you. And somehow they get all the other people to leave. And I can just envision it in my head. He walks up to King Eglon and puts his right hand maybe on his shoulder right there, reaches down with his left hand, he's left-handed, pulls out his dagger and thrusts it into his chest. It's a pretty gory story. And yet, here's a guy who steps forward unassuming, respectable, trustworthy, and does the job that somebody else didn't do. He does the job of taking care of this evil, wicked king. And see, this is the thing that we we also understand. This is what we have to do with sin, right? We have to do this with sin in our lives. There's no dancing around it, friends. Mortify the deeds of the flesh in your body. Okay? So, he wasn't uh, figured on being a guy that would do much because he didn't have use of his right hand. That's the way things were in the culture. That's the idea of what was behind it. Okay. And then Shamgar. Only one verse. Verse 31. And after him came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Yeah, right. Really? Okay, so number one, we don't know if this was in one day or in one straight week or what it was. It doesn't tell us. What does it tell us? He killed 600 Philistines. What's an ox goad? One end, it's got a very sharp tip to prod those animals along. The other side, 
was typically like a blade, like a, like a small shovel blade. You know, they could shave off the, the mud and dirt off the plow with the one and then turn around and poke the uh, animals, get them going. And all I want to do is put a little, you know, ninja flavor to this guy with this ox goad. And he was able to twirl it and do whatever and kill guys. And again, in our minds, we go, no way. Maybe six Philistines. Not, a, not 600. Folks, what are we missing? I'm, I'm putting my slant on it and your slant on it. We're not putting God's slant on it. God's miracle to it. Isn't God a God of miracles? You bet. And here's a, an example of it. And by the way, Shamgar might not have even been an Israelite. It's questioned in the commentaries. Maybe this guy was not even an Israelite. God didn't use a Jew. And what does it say? And he also saved Israel. He delivered Israel. He was faithful to his job. Okay. With that being said, we've uh, raced through the first few judges. We've uh, dealt with the two introductions. Now what? So what? So what about this? Let me ask you a couple of questions to wrap this up. Are you ready to encourage, to support, and lift up the next generation in your own family or in the family of believers here? Are you ready to encourage, support, and lift up others in their walk with the Lord? You have to do that with more than just knowledge and facts. You have to do that with a life that's impacted by God. We've had so many kids. I think of our Awana program. We have so many kids over the years that have gone through Awana. And did Awana do the job? I'm not going to say yes or no. But guess what? I tell you this. People's lives that were impacted by God did the job on on younger children. That's the idea of having Awana. It's having people that love the Lord serve in that so that kids get the idea that adults love the Lord Jesus and they want to pass on the good news. There's passing the baton of truth. Then, are you available? Are you available? Like these deliverers, these judges, are you available? Or are you just throwing out excuses when God prompts your heart? Are you kind of throwing off excuses saying, ah, oh, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not quite there. Or my husband is this. Or my wife is this. And you kind of throw off and deflect what God is calling you to do. Are you available? Are you available with your ox code? Are you ready? Are you ready to serve the Lord with your ox code? Okay? Are you training yourself for war? No way. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Colossians chapter 3, war. Write it down. Colossians 3, and do war against sin in your life. I didn't say in other people's lives. You know, that's what 
God allows you maybe to address in, in other people's lives. But the number one thing is you address sin in your own life. Mortify or kill off the deeds of the flesh in your body. And then finally this. What will be said of you when you die? I don't know. I don't want to make a big deal of that. But that's something that's demonstrated now, right? It's demonstrated now, today. Today, we demonstrate. Am I a servant of the Lord? Will I walk with my Captain Jesus throughout the battles of life and know that He's my strength? Or will I try and do it on my own, in my own strength, thinking, I'm, I'm good enough, I can handle this. God wants you to trust Him every step of the way. And to say, thank you, Lord. I don't want to be uh, trusting in my American way. I don't want to be trusting in my really good, cool, awesome, good-looking family. <laughs> I don't want to be trusting in uh, all sorts of things. I want to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So, God help us. Let's stand together in closing. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the joy in worshiping you and the work that you are doing in our lives. And uh, may we be people that are humbling ourselves before you, listening to your voice and responding in trust and obedience to you. Thank you for this day. Help us to go out in great courage and faith, knowing that you lead the way. Lord, I pray that you would work in the lives of people that have not bent the knee nor have called out for your rescue. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would know that trust in themselves is vanity. Trust in themselves is vain. So, Lord, do your great work by your Spirit. Thank you for this time. God, Help us to walk closely with you today. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.